0: section twenty six of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. chapter twenty the parliamentary conflict in england one the test act february fourth through march twenty ninth sixteen seventy three it is necessary now to recur to the progress of the parliamentary conflict in england the subsidies of louis the supplies previously voted and the spoil of the stop of the exchequer had enabled charles to dispense with an appeal to parliament for nearly two years these funds being exhausted and louis not being prepared to satisfy his needs he met the houses on february fourth sixteen seventy three assuming a tone of confidence he put lightly aside the question of the standing army whose dark hovering on Blackheath was exciting much suspicion, stating, indeed, that several more regiments would be necessary in the spring, and he gave the usual assurances to the church. Then, trusting to waive all attack upon the declaration of indulgence by a strong expression of his personal will, he ended his reference to it by the words, And I will deal plainly with you. I am resolved to stick to my declaration shaftesbury followed with the famous delenda est cartago speech in which he expressed the necessity of beating the republic as being england's eternal enemy both by interest and inclination to the ground on many questions the commons were unexpectedly compliant they introduced a bill for the monthly supply of seventy thousand pounds for eighteen months for the king's extraordinary occasions thus avoiding direct reference to the war of which the country was now weary but were careful to proceed no further with it for the moment they refrained from attacking the stop of the exchequer the war or the cabal this was because they had chosen to challenge the king on one matter alone on february eighth took place the first debate on the declaration in its support the old arguments were used the advantage of trade the increase of population which toleration always promoted the folly of causing discontent at home while a war demanding all the nation's energies was at hand the distinction between the prerogative in temporal and spiritual matters was dwelt upon as the master of a ship may throw over cargo in a storm or one may walk over another man's grounds in an emergency So, when there is sufficient occasion, the king may dispense with the law. Can government, it was boldly asked, be without arbitrary government? On the other side, the distinction advanced was utterly repudiated. Granting that the king had power to pardon crime in individual cases, he had none to license crime by dispensing with law. The declaration broke through no fewer than forty acts of parliament, repealable by parliament alone the debate closed with a vote carried by 168 to 116 that penal statutes in matters ecclesiastical cannot be suspended but by act of parliament beyond the challenge thus thrown down to the king the debate was important as showing the distance travelled by public opinion since the passing of the second Conventicle act A suggestion that the House itself should prepare a bill for the ease of His Majesty's Protestant subjects that are dissenters was unanimously adopted. The Anglican furor had evidently to a great extent passed away. The Commons was no longer on their defence against Protestant dissent, but was engaged in providing that the Church of England should not be devoured by Papists. The vote of February 8th, had been followed by an address to the King. Obtaining from him only an evasive request that the Commons would themselves prepare a bill in the same sense as the Declaration, they pressed for a full and satisfactory answer, and enforced their demand, by a vote, February twenty-eighth, that no one refusing the oaths or the sacrament, according to the Anglican rites should be capable of holding any office under the Crown charles hereupon appealed to the lords for their advice they coldly replied that his previous answer referring the question to the commons in a parliamentary way was good and gracious on march seventh they joined the lower house in desiring the king at once to order all jesuits and catholic priests except those in attendance on the queen and the foreign ambassadors to leave the kingdom within thirty days to instruct the justices to execute the penal laws against them with all rigor, and to call upon all officers and soldiers at once to take the oaths and receive the sacrament. Pressed to yield by his ministers, who were becoming alarmed for their own safety, by Louis, who saw that unless supplies were granted his ally must necessarily make peace, and by the female favorites, whose sources of wealth were endangered, Charles, on March 8th, cancelled the declaration, to which only a month before he had declared his fixed resolve to adhere. The concession was too tardy. The Commons were anxious to put an end to the Catholic question. A bill for a test act, suggested by Arlington to destroy Clifford, had already been before them. On March 12th it was read a third time. In the interval, it had been pointed out that if passed in the terms of the vote of February 28th, it might be inoperative for its purpose, since the Pope could grant a dispensation to take the oaths and even to receive the Anglican sacrament. He was, however, precluded from any such step regarding cardinal matters of faith. The act, therefore, was framed to include an explicit denial of the doctrine of transubstantiation in the lords in spite of the passionate resistance of the greater part of the catholic peers under the leadership of clifford who broke out upon it as monstrum horrendum ingens it passed by a large majority on march twenty ninth it received the royal assent only then did the commons pass the subsidy bill parliament had at last won the victory for which it had been striving since the restoration james to the great loss of the nation resigned his post of lord high admiral the second part of clifford's horoscope was now fulfilled he laid down the treasurer's staff went into strict retirement and shortly died it was reported by his own hand of the disappointment of his hopes the cabal was shattered and from this moment charles abandoned all attempt to secure favour for the proscribed creed the influence of james however was sufficient to secure the nomination of sir thomas osborne soon created earl of danby to succeed clifford as lord treasurer an appointment which turned arlington who thus suffered a second rebuff into a keen though concealed opponent of the government meanwhile the bill for the ease of protestant dissenters had been read a third time in the commons difficulties arose only at the last moment In the Lords, the Bishops opposed it with vehemence, and secured its return to the Commons clogged with unacceptable amendments. By passing the Bill of Supply, the Commons had lost their hold on events. Charles, though honestly anxious to see the measure become law, adjourned the Parliament, and the Bill was for the time lost. 2. Refusal of Supplies, Shaftesbury in opposition, peace with the Dutch, October 20th, 1673, through February 24th, 1674. The very fact that precautions had been taken against the Catholics appeared to increase the general alarm. Much had indeed taken place during the recess to justify this feeling. The Test Act had been largely evaded, and the flaunting of Papists in Whitehall was evident to all. Louis's demand for the establishment of Catholic churches in the conquered Dutch towns had roused the Protestant feeling of Englishmen to the utmost, while the national jealousy of France had been excited to a fever pitch by the belief that the conduct of Estre, who both in the last battle and in that of Solbay, had avoided giving any effective assistance, had been prompted by the desire of Louis to see the two great naval powers destroy each other's strength. Rupert, in his conviction that this was the case, had become the leader of a vehement anti-French party. Then there was the standing army, under the command of Schomberg, a Frenchman, though a Protestant, with a declared Catholic second in command, and lastly the marriage of James to the Princess of Modena, a marriage known to have been arranged in deference to the personal wishes of Louis. Not only opened up the prospect of a long catholic succession but expressed in a definite form the alliance of the court with the french and catholic cause when therefore parliament met in october sixteen seventy three it was in a fighting mood the silencing of some leading members of the old opposition by the personal influence of the king could avail but little against the rising tide of passion the most influential members of the country party rose, one after another, to urge the house to refuse a supply until their grievances had been redressed. "'Here is money asked of us,' said Lord Cavendish, "'to carry on a war we were never advised about, and what we have given is turned to raising of families and not paying the king's debts. Lord Cornbury, Clarendon's eldest son, had begged for the king and wanted for him, and would willingly do it again, but he too was for refusing supply. Do this, said another, and we may deliver ourselves both from France and Rome. A vote was accordingly carried to refuse any supply before the end of the eighteen-months assessment, unless the obstinacy of the Dutch should render it necessary, and before the dangers from popish counsels and other grievances had been removed. Of these grievances, the standing army was first named. The member who declared that these forces had not been raised for the war, but the war made for raising the forces, expressed the general belief. Passing then to evil counsellors, they had just uttered Lauderdale's name when they were prorogued until January 7th. When the king again faced Parliament, he no longer asked for money to continue the war, but to secure peace and this time he did not hesitate at the instance of louis to meet the great council of the nation with a gross and deliberate lie to remove their suspicions he would lay his treaties with france and all the articles of them without the least reserve before a small committee of both houses and he added i assure you there is no other treaty with france either before or since which shall not be made known The treaty which was shown was, however, the Second Treaty of Dover, of December 1670, which, in order the better to deceive Parliament, had been executed afresh as late as February 1672. The original treaty of June 1, 1670, with the article providing for the announcement of the King's conversion and the subsidy from Louis for that purpose, was carefully concealed. The speech we learned from Lord Conway, who was behind the scenes, was produced by the consultations of many days and nights, and we are told that the King fumbled in delivering it and made it worse than in the print. The fraud availed little. The houses went steadily on with the work which had been interrupted. They were now under guidance which rendered them doubly formidable. Shaftesbury had, during the recess, been dismissed, since the cancelling of the declaration his sympathies had never been with the court probably he had been told by the disappointed arlington the true story of the dover treaty and the vexation of one who thought himself a master of intrigue at having so long been a dupe would of itself be enough to account for the immediate change in his attitude after the prorogation in the lords he organised a regular opposition the members of which met frequently to arrange the plan of attack. On the day after the king's speech he carried an address for the banishment from London of all papists or reputed papists, not householders or in attendance on peers. The dread of a Catholic succession, henceforward his watchword, was expressed in a vote to prepare a bill for the education of the royal children as Protestants, and for securing all future marriages in the royal line with Protestants under the penalty of exclusion. Provisions equally drastic were inserted in the proposed bill for the education of the children of Catholic peers. The practice of sending them to Catholic schools on the continent was especially to be prohibited. In the Commons there arose a renewed outcry against evil counsellors, which on January 13, 1674, took a definite shape in an address to the king to remove Lauderdale and Buckingham from all their employments and from his presence and counsels forever. Articles of impeachment were then proposed against Darlington, the great conduit-pipe of all the previous actions of the government. His defense, however, was so able and his friends so numerous and earnest, since it was understood that he was now out of favor, that he secured a majority of 166 to 127. It was at this point that charles announced that terms of peace had been made to him by the dutch which he could accept parliament eagerly welcomed the close of the ill-starred war and the treaty of london was signed on february nineteenth the king now unable to extract a farthing from the commons put an end to the session and so to all progress with the attacks from both lords and commons the house however did not separate february twenty fourth until the habeas corpus bill with its extended provisions against arbitrary rule though it did not pass the lords had secured a permanent place in men's minds by passing all its stages in the commons and until an address had been sent up praying for the disbanding of all troops raised since january first sixteen sixty three the course of affairs in the recess was to be determined by events on the continent. End of section 26.